On Wednesday, July 24, 2002, nine miners gathered together in a trailer outside of Kew Creek Mine in Somerset, Pennsylvania, to change into their mining outfits and to don on their various gear, most importantly the helmet with the headlight that is so very important in mining in those dark places. After they had changed into their gear, they got into what's known as a man trip, which is a low battery-powered mining cart that they then spent a half hour in as it went one and a half miles and took them to the depth of 24 stories under the surface of the ground. There, they would work their next shift, and while doing so in difficult circumstances, the height of the ceiling was only about four foot, so they spent most of their time crouched over doing their work. Everything seemed to be going normal and routine when one of the men who was operating a machine that basically bored and chewed the coal out of the wall broke through to an adjacent cave, the Saxon mine number two, which had been abandoned for years. According to the plans that he was working with, there wasn't supposed to be a mine right next door. It should have been hundreds and hundreds of feet away. But the plans were wrong. And when that machine punched through that wall, old Saxon mine had become a reservoir of underground water and 150 million gallons of water began to pour into the Kew Creek mine like a raging river. The man operating the machine shouted out, Everybody out! But it was too late. They couldn't outrun the water. They tried. Imagine all nine men running as fast as they could. As fast as you can when you're trying to run hunkered over. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but that's hard to do. You've got all that equipment on. You've got your clothes on. It's wet. You're soaked. And you're running for your life. Quickly, the, ro- the water rose up to their necks, and then they had to crane their necks to try to keep their face out of the water. Miraculously, miraculously, they were able to find some high ground where they all huddled and gathered and no longer had to strain to keep their heads up. In the panic of all this, word had reached another group of miners in a different part of the mine what had happened and they had all been able to exit and get out on time and alert the authorities on the surface but these nine men these nine men they were trapped one of the men calculated and informed the other eight that within an hour at the rate the water was rising they would all they would all drown One of the men reached into his pocket and pulled out a pen that he had with him. With his headlamp on, he located some cardboard that was dry, and he scribbled out a goodbye note to his wife and his kids. And then he offered the pen to the other men. And each man, each man took that pen and wrote out his goodbyes to 
his loved ones as well. Then they opened up a bucket and emptied out the drill bits that were in that bucket. They stuck their notes in the bucket, sealed it with an airtight lid, and lashed it to some boulders so that when the rescuers did come, if they did come, surely they would come. They would find that bucket and find those notes and give them to the family. There were tears. There were silent prayers that were going up. These men were absolutely exhausted mentally, physically, and even in their own spirits. They waited their fate. When I think about that event, I try to imagine myself with those men 24 stories down in that situation. And even though I'm not really there, when I think about it, I'm claustrophobic enough that it gives me the willies. Sorry if your name is Willie. It just unnerves me. To think about being incarcerated, entombed in that cavern with all that rock and rubble above me. And to know that my loved ones are up there and I can't get to them and they can't get to me and the water's coming. I mean, if that were you, what would you, what would you want to hear? I know what I'd want to hear. I'd want to hear a voice. Somebody who got through all the rock and all the rubble saying, Hey, we've broken through. We, we found that. We found a shaft. We've made it through. We're here. It's okay. Come on over here. We're going to rescue you and bring you up to daylight. Boy, that is what I would want to hear. How about you? I'd want to hear that voice. I'd want to see that crack of daylight. I'd want to know there's some fresh air. I'd want to know that there's some hope for me. For us, for, for all of us to get, to get out of here. That, that's what Christmas is all about. It is God breaking through the rubble of sin and evil. And shouting to us through his son and saying, I've broken through, I am here. And I'm here to rescue you. I am, I'm here to save you. I'm here to set you free from your incarceration and darkness and evil and sin and guilt and shame and all the things that go with that. That's what Christmas is all about. And the Lord knows there are a lot of people this weekend both of our campuses and all around us who feel kind of buried alive. We sometimes use that term, don't we? People say, you know, people ask you, hey, how are you doing? You just go, oh, man, I'm just buried alive with work. I'm, you know, I'm just buried in this project. I'm just buried, you know, with Christmas. I, you know, in that sense of just being overwhelmed. You know, there's some people this weekend who, are, who just feel buried in loneliness and abandonment. There are some people this weekend who are, who are buried in bad habits and sin, addictions in their life. 
There's some people who are, who are, who are buried in bad relationships. They are, so, they are so discouraged. They're struggling so much in their marriage with their kids, with their parents, with friends, with neighbors. And it's just, it's just overwhelming. There's some people who are, who are buried in illness and disease, sickness, dealing with their own, their own terminal illness or dealing with a chronic problem that they have. And it's just so, so overwhelming. There's some people who are, who are buried with, with failure or financial difficulties. And perhaps you know somebody like that in your family or in your neighborhood or at school or at work or or perhaps it's even you. And the voice you want to hear is a voice that says, hey, it's all right. I've broken through. There is hope. I'm going to get you out of that situation. We long to hear that voice, don't we? People long to hear that voice. And Christmas is about waiting and listening for that voice. The voice came once, but listen, the voice comes again. Have you heard the voice? So what voice are you talking about? I'm talking about the voice found in Luke chapter 21. So at both our campuses, you might want to grab your, your Bibles or your electronic equipment, whatever you're using, and uh, get over to Luke chapter 21. I want to encourage you to read this chapter a little bit later on your own, but I want to focus on just one verse. And this, the context of this passage happens to be the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, while you're getting over there, both campuses, I just want to let you know that January, you've got a great, great series coming up. We're talking about, you know, everybody's talking about the fiscal cliff. And uh, by the way, we may not be together next weekend because the 21st is coming, Mayan calendar stuff, right? And, uh, but, but in case, you know, in case the Mayans were wrong, okay, and we all make it to January, I do want you to know the Bible says the world is going to end, but it's in God's terms and in God's timing. And in January, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel, specifically chapter 38 and 39. We're going to be talking about cliffs and dates and all kinds of issues that are out there. It's all prophecy. So mark it down. Pray for no snow on the weekends, all right? And, uh, and bring a friend because it's going to be extremely relevant. It's going to be dealing with the news like it is today and looking at the scriptures, okay? So it's going to be a great, great series. So this passage here in Luke chapter 21 is where Jesus has been talking about the end times. And when he gets to verse 27, he says, Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. Love that. Looking forward to it, aren't you? Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, now you got to go back and read the chapter, okay, to see what all those things are. But when all these signs that he talks about in, in Luke chapter 21, earthquakes, famines, and wars, and rumors of wars, and so forth. When all these things begin to happen, look what he says. He says, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. And if I had a marker, uh, or I could highlight on my, you know, my, my uh, electronic equipment, I would highlight that. Stand up, look up. For your salvation is coming. Your rescue is coming. See, the word has broken through. 
Can you hear it? Can you hear God saying to you and me right now, look up, stand up, look up. Help is, help is on the way. Help is on the way. Now, who, who are those words spoken for? Those words were spoken for people who felt trapped, who felt entombed, who desired and wanted to be liberated, who were looking for a voice that would say, I'm coming to set you free, both then and those voices this day, now. And believe me, there are a lot of people in Jesus' day who were looking for a Messiah. And when he came, they celebrated. They were excited about it. But not everyone was looking for a Messiah, at least not the kind of Messiah that Jesus was and is. And not everybody today is looking for the voice of God to speak to them, to stand up and to look up because salvation is on the way. There are a bunch of people in Jesus' day who really didn't want to hear that message because they didn't believe they needed rescuing. They were in a tomb. They were, in a, they were submerged in a cavern, and they liked it. They were called the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. They had a good thing going as far as they were concerned. They didn't need anybody to help them get out of it. Over in Matthew chapter 21, verse 32, Jesus said, For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. You know, there's a lot of people today that just really don't believe they need a Savior like Jesus. They, they, liked their, they liked their life. The Pharisees, they had their rules. They had power. They had uh, uh, prosperity. A lot of them did. Um, they enjoyed judging other people and feeling better about themselves by comparing themselves to people who weren't as good as they were. I mean, they kind of had it made. They had it all figured out. The only thing that they would have liked is, is for a Messiah to show up and change things politically get the Romans off their back and get them even more power and even more control. There are a lot of people like that today. They like, they like their life. They like where they're at. They like their sin habit. They, they like uh, being able to do as they wish, as they want. They just wish somebody would show up and change the economy and make that a little bit better and make things a little greener. Maybe change things a little bit more politically, one way or the other. But they don't recognize that they, they actually need a Savior. They don't have a sense of being trapped. They don't have a sense of, of darkness in their life. They don't have a sense of needing to be liberated in their lives. Strange, isn't it? It's not until you really realize how, how desperately poor you are, how desperately evil you are. It's not until then that you really begin to cry out and seek help, is it? Strange, isn't it? When everything is going well, when things are, are smooth in our lives, when things are smooth in the economy and, and everywhere else in life, we don't call out to God in those times, do we? Boy, when things hit rock bottom, that's when we start standing up, looking up, and begin to listen for that voice. And I'm here to tell you, the voice has been 
speaking. Reminding us, reminding you and me that he's coming back a second, final time. And we need to be alert to that voice and not be caught off guard, the scriptures say. But be ready at any moment. And so these nine men in the tomb thought they were going to die and an hour went by. And after the hour went by, they realized they were still very much alive. And one of them went to check on a stick which he had placed in the mud to try to determine the, uh, how fast the water was rising. And he, he checked on it. He came back and he told the guys, he said, hey, the water is not rising. At least temporarily, guys, the water has stopped. And then they heard the most beautiful, beautiful sound. They heard the sound of a drill getting closer and closer and closer and closer until finally it popped through the ceiling. It was an air vent that they had drilled from the top 240 feet down. A a, a pipe, a, a shaft came down that hole that was drilled and right away they began pumping fresh air into the mine, which was very important because it was getting stagnant, low on oxygen. And one of the men went over there and he banged on that pipe nine times to signal those above that nine men were still alive. And suddenly everybody had hope. They were going to get out. They were going to be freed. But it was still, it was still a dangerous, dangerous situation. That water could start to rise at at any moment. Perhaps the mine would crumble at any moment. One of them was already suffering chest pains. Maybe he's having a heart attack. He's going to die. He was still perilous, but there was a glimmer of hope. What they needed was what is called a super drill. This massive drill that could chew through the earth, the rubble, and the rock and create a shaft big enough for someone to get down there and rescue each one of these men there was a super drill available. It was some distance away. It would take it a while to get there. Finally, it arrived, and they started drilling down. And eventually, the men could begin to feel and hear the vibrations of that super drill coming their way. And their hope began to rise again. Maybe we are going to get free. Forget that bucket. Maybe we are going to get up there to the surface and see our loved ones again. One man said, I'm never going in the mines ever, ever again. If I get out of here. They were excited. They were anticipating the breakthrough and their freedom. When Friday at 1.50 a.m., they've been there since Wednesday, the noise stopped. And one of the men recalls panicking and saying, Dear God, dear God, they've forgotten about us. Dear God, they they think they're dead and they give it up on us. And, And suddenly all nine men began to panic. Reality is that super drill had broken. It would be shut down for 14 more hours while they retrieved it, fixed it, and began drilling again at 105 feet where it stopped. You know, sometimes, sometimes the delay in being rescued is so hard, isn't it? When you sense hope is coming, and then all of a sudden there's There's silence. Sometimes it feels that way with God too, doesn't it? And sometimes you just feel like, wow, hope is on the way. God's doing something. It's going to get better. And then all of a sudden, it takes a different turn. It gets worse instead. 
You know, in Peter's day, the Apostle Peter, people were saying, you know, I thought you said, I thought you said Christ was coming back again. <laughs> I don't think he is. Look how long it's been. Peter said, hey, you forget, God forgot a thousand years like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. He's one that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, but he is coming back. Oh, he is coming back. He's got to be patient. You just got to listen. You just got to wait. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they, they heard the vibration again. They felt it. They heard it. That drill, the super drill, was on its way. And finally, it broke through the ceiling 300 feet away. The men scrambled over to the opening. And the first voice they heard was a question. Can you hear me? Yes, get us out of here now. And one by one, each of the nine men was rescued out of Q Creek Mind. Jesus says to those who are waiting, He says, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. The day is coming. So when all these things happen, as you sense that day is coming, he says, I just have two simple commands for you. Stand up, look up. Your salvation is near. Stand up. Look up. Get your eyes off this world. Get your eyes off the pitiful circumstances of this evil world. Man, if you keep your eyes focused on this world, you keep watching the news all the time, you keep looking at what's wrong, you are going to get depressed and sucked under. Every once in a while, you got to lift your head up. And you got to look up and you got to bend your ear down to the word of God. And you got to listen to the spirit of God in you. And see what's happening in the world and realize that God, God is, God is preparing to bring the end about. As he's always planned, in his own sovereignty, in his own timing. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for a breakthrough? Are you ready to go home? Are you ready to be retrieved, to be rescued. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 25 says, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. In other words, don't be like those, don't be like those Israelites who just refused to listen. The voice was sounding and they refused to listen. They still, they were stubborn. They were going to do things their own way. They didn't pay attention. He's saying, listen to the one who's speaking from heaven. He's coming again. Stand up, look up, get your eyes focused on the truth. Get your eyes focused on him. My aunt was a godly woman, my mom's sister. She had a, a big impact on my life. Um, she was a fabulous teacher. I loved to listen to her teach. I always enjoyed it when 
I heard her teach in Sunday school. She was a fun lady, and she loved God. She loved God very much. And uh, about 10 years or so ago, she, she passed away. And my mom was, was with my Aunt Frances when uh, she passed away. And they were as close as two sisters can possibly be. They could, like, communicate without talking to each other, you know. Some people had capacity. It's amazing. And my mom says that while my aunt was laying on her deathbed, she was dying of heart failure and cancer, that all of a sudden she, she opened her eyes. All right? And she smiled. And she called my mom Ginny. My mom's name's Virginia. She said, Ginny, I hear the choirs of heaven. I hear it. And she stood up and then left her body and went home. Do you know why? Because she was listening. She heard the voice. She heard the call. Stand up. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Let's pray. God, um, we live in such a, a world of bad news. And the bad news sometimes, God, gets us down and gets us discouraged. Father, your word says that the people, when your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, came the first time, were living in darkness. And in that darkness, in that entombment of evil, it says that a light shone. That light was the light of men your son. He came once. It was awesome. And he healed the sick. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He even raised the dead. The most important thing he did is he gave his life so that people like us could be forgiven of our sins, set free. And God, uh, since that time, our job has been to tell the world, here, near, and far, that Jesus came once and he's coming a second time. And God, in our bones, we feel the vibration in the universe. Something's about to shake loose. Breakthrough about to take place. God, we want to be standing up, looking up, ready for when your son appears again. Lord, come, come soon. And we will give you praise. And you will find us not just watching and waiting, but doing what you've called us to do to make you known to this lost world. If you're here this weekend and you have never received Christ into your life, I just want you to know he came for you. And someday you're going to pass this life and I'm just hoping and praying that like my aunt, it'll be with a smile, with a sense of hearing choirs of heaven 
ready to enter into his presence. If you, if you want that, I would love to pray with you this weekend to receive Christ into your heart. It's actually a very simple prayer, but it, it really has to be a sincere surrender in your part. So our heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you this weekend, you're ready to surrender to Christ. You've, you've just never done this before. You've never just totally given yourself to Him, abandoned yourself to Him. Then pray this prayer with me. Just raise your hand and pray this prayer with me silently, quietly, right where you are, okay? It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I, I just confess I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. God, I feel like one of those miners trapped in sin. Trapped in loneliness, trapped in bad habit, trapped in guilt and shame. Please set me free. I just give my life to you now, God. Take it over. And Father, for each person who may have prayed that prayer this evening, please bear witness in their spirit that you have come to transform them. And Father, for anyone who prays this prayer at our 95th campus, God, be just as real in their life. And I thank you in Christ's name. Amen.